0: Hello and welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm really glad you're here. As a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist, My intention is to offer an in-depth exploration of the intersections between these three domains, yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. And my hope is that the talks and conversations in this podcast will help support your practice as well as your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this third installment of a four-part conversation with yin master Bernie Clark, Bernie and I continue to discuss themes in his new outstanding book, Your Spine, Your Yoga. This book, along with his other works, really need to be in every yoga teacher's library, and I'll include a link in the show notes for Your Spine, Your Yoga. In this episode, I asked Bernie about specific concerns that developing bodies, as well as aging bodies, might have with doing any yoga practice, but especially yin yoga and how teachers might think through the often scary issue of a student diagnosed with something like osteoporosis when they come to your class. But before starting in on this conversation, I humbly ask a small favor of you. As a way to support this podcast, I humbly ask that if you find this podcast of value to your practice or teaching, that you consider sharing an episode or a link to the podcast in either your social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or in a blog or newsletter. This is enormously helpful to me, and as an ad-free and otherwise free podcast, I support and back this podcast with my own sweat and tears, and it's a sacrifice I really do feel privileged to be able to make. But if you find value in this podcast, please consider sharing it with someone else that might also find value in it too. I thank you in advance for that support, and again, I'm really glad you're here. So Without further ado, I once again bring you Bernie Clark. Bernie, another question that came up for me while I was reading your book, your spine, your yoga, your yoga was um, issues around skeletal development in developing bodies, i.e., growing bodies, and. Also issues particular to populations when their bodies are really starting to age and 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 um, and weaken, or potentially weaken. So on the front side of that question, um, are there things that you would now recommend that developing bodies, i.e. babies to you know, pubescent teenagers, that developing bodies do or emphasize in particular and things that they might want to avoid. Because um, this, you know, the, the the question behind this question is, you know, things specifically like can can children do yin yoga or is you know like yin yoga safe for this age group and, and that kind of thing, and then and then from there I want to I do want to get into talking about um, concerns around osteoporosis because that's another big one that comes into classes that can really scare teachers a lot, but right, but. I don't see a lot of kids in my class, so it doesn't really come up for me that often, but um, what, how do you handle that question around developing bodies?
1: Well, in childhood, you know, we use the yin-yang metaphor. You're, you're kind of in the, the yang stage of life. You've got a, nat- a lot of natural mobility, a lot of natural flexibility, because the body hasn't stiffened up yet. Where adults will have bones, the child has cartilage. So we haven't really stiffened. So they're going to naturally have a lot more range of motion. They're going to be a lot more open in the hips. They're going to be able to do forward folds a lot better than older people. They're at the stage when they're developing stability. They're becoming stiffer and stiffer. And that's normal. We want to be able to do that. So as a child, really, you should be focusing on building stability. This isn't the time to sit still and meditate for half an hour a day. Leave that for when you're old (laughs) and stiff. This is the time to get up and play. Like I say, you know, children in school that can't sit still at their desk. For five hours, we call them ADHD, and they're hyperactive. No, they're normal. Yeah. Kid who can sit for five hours still, there's something wrong with that kid. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones that you know, should be looking at. The fact that kids are squirming and stuff, they're designed to move and to exercise and build their muscles. So let them move. Let them stress the tissues in a young way. But once you start to get older, in middle age, you're kind of in a balance between yin and yang. But as you get older and older, the body's shrink-wrapping it's stiffening up the bones are calcifying everywhere. That's when you need to work on mobility more because we're losing that range of motion. We've, we naturally are becoming more stable. So now we have to work more on the mobility side of it. Mm. That's a generalization. Again, everyone follows that arc of aging differently. There are some young children who do well with the yin yoga. They're the exceptions. There are some older people that should keep doing Yang yoga for the rest of their life. Now, think of Vanda Scaravelli. She was doing deep back bends, drop back to wheels in her 90s. You you don't tell her she needs to work on mobility. She she was already very mobile. But in general, people get stiffer as they age. And one table I have in my book that talks about the change. Twisting, especially in the lumbar, we maintain that throughout our life. We we tend to keep the same range of motion as we age. But extensions, we lose that fairly quickly. Um, We lose about 76% of our extendability. And one of the reasons is the bones in the back of our spine, the spinous processes, they get thicker. They grow thicker and bigger and they hit more easily. So we're in our middle age, we might have 29 degrees of extension in the, in the lumbar spine. By the time we're in our 70s and 80s, we only have six degrees. So you're saying it's, it's, it's,
0: it's not just the cartilage in our nose and ears that continues to grow as we age, but also the, 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 the bone,
1: so yeah. bones
0: the, in our it's, spine, it's, the spinous processes
1: get bigger? The top of their hips broaden throughout our life, they get wider, um, yeah, the bones keep growing. And that's a natural reaction to a lifetime of stress. When the bones are stressed, they grow thicker. Hmm. We need that, because later we'll talk about osteoporosis. The bones need to get thicker and stronger. So as we do that over a lifetime, they're getting thicker, but that's reducing our range of motion, because now we got thicker bones, they get in the way. We can lose about 40% of our flexion range of motion as we age but we lose about three quarters of our extension. So this is a natural part of aging. It's not something we have to fix. It's just, we just have to learn to accept it. Now, you don't want it to happen too fast. You still want to keep your mobility and stability as well, but just realize, you know, in your 80s, you're not gonna be able to do what you did in your 20s.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I was thinking as listening, is that, that, you know, people have the expectation that if they do a a dedicated yoga practice, and that's where, where I was coming back to one of our early parts of this conversation where I said, that quote from, I think, Iyengar around, you're, you're yeah. as young as your spine is flexible. I had this idea that I would do something that would maintain a particular range of motion that I would never lose. Right. But the, the game is, the deck is stacked against us anyway. You know, we're, we're going to lose throughout the course of our life is basically what you're saying. We're going we're to have a limited, we're going to lose whatever modality we had and it, 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 no matter how, as a consequence, no matter how much we do
1: yoga we do. Yeah. Even hyper-flexible people, as they get older, they lose range of motion. In their 90s, they may still look super flexible, but in their own life, they know, wow, I'm not nearly as flexible as I used to be when I was in my 20s. Mm. So we all shrink wrap with age. That's life. That's normal. Now, you oh. don't have to accelerate that. Like if you're just a couch potato and you never move, well, you're going to shrink wrap much more quickly. Yeah. And then it's not the bones. Then it's your connective tissue. It's your fascia. It's your muscles. These tissues, then it's tension that's stopping you. Yeah. But throughout your life, if you maintain your tension so that you've got full range of motion, that full range of motion dictated by the shape of your bones is going to reduce. But if you don't work through your tension throughout your life, you're going to have less and less. So I'm just saying your maximum range of motion is going down as you get older. Yeah. Your actual range of motion, that depends on what you're doing in your life. Right.
0: But, and, but, it ha- but being aware of that I think is important because uh, if you don't have that 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 knowledge in the back of your mind, you may sort of try to just like me going from side to side, trying to do the same thing on my left side that I do on my right. If if I impose that ideal and try to maintain an ideal of what my what my range of motion is in in these poses, then that could also predispose someone to over stressing.
1: Right, you're trying to go too far now. Yeah, we all have a final edge. No, in yoga we want to play our edge, but we don't want to go over the edge. So you approach the edge and you back off, and as you get old, you'll notice your edge is closer changing, to you. changing yeah. edges.
0: Well, as you get closer to the edge, your edges change. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about that that end of the spectrum um, because uh, nothing. I mean, we, we we talked in our previous conversation last year around the fears around hyperextension of the knee or elbow and things like that, and that's that's one of those that when when yoga teachers hear about it it's a little bit like fingernails on a chalkboard like don't don't do that and um, another you know fingernail on the chalkboard moment is student comes in and says I have osteoporosis and then you're encouraging them as a yin teacher you might be encouraging them to gently stress osteoporotic or osteopenic bone tissue and Many people have this fear that oh no, 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 that you know when that's occurring you can't you can't stress it or you can risk a fracture or further degeneration um and not to complexify it too much, but i you know in the past i've gone onto your forum on yunyoga.com and there's even ways that I think the way you are thinking about osteoporosis has changed a bit over the time with it' particularly around uh the indication of forward flexion. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's okay or to do or not okay to do uh, with different degrees of osteoporosis. So I know I, I kind of, that was a scattershot <laughs> question <laughs> on osteoporosis, though. but let's talk about that. Um, first off, I guess, is we know that but these bones, as you have said, require stress. Failure to stress <laughs> them invites disuse osteoporosis. If someone comes in with a diagnosis of some degree of osteoporosis, how would a helpful, skillful, wise teacher begin to approach that?
1: Well, the first is the caveat that we're not doctors, and I'm not a physical therapist, and a yoga class is not a place for therapy. Even if I was a physical therapist, a drop-in yoga class with 30 people is not a clinic. You know, in a clinic, I would get to know this person. I would check their biography, what they've been doing. We do some tests. We try to figure out what's causing their pain. How much is their osteoporosis? We do a, a lot of investigation. If someone just walks in and never seen him before and says, I got osteoporosis, what should I do in this class? I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. I'd say, what has your doctor said? Even mm-hmm. you know, all that caveat. We tend to make things binary. Even physical therapists do this. We tend to think, well, if too much stress is bad, then let's not stress at all. And life is not binary, it's a gray scale. Yes, if you've got osteoporosis, your bones are getting a bit hollow, a bit brittle, and it could be easier to break them now than when they were younger. But to never stress the bone is gonna guarantee that the atrophy. So the question now, what is too much for you? It's not what it used to be, but you still need some stress to the bones. Never go to zero.
0: And before we get into where and how you wanna think about stressing the bones, it's in your own research, since you, you have kind of <laughs> plumbed the, 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 the research uh, right. archive so much or so well, what, where in the bones, is the particularly in the spinal bones, is the osteoporosis most prevalent? Is it in the anterior aspect of the vertebral bodies? Is it more in the spinous process or the facets? Is there, or is there any pattern to that?
1: Um, usually it would be in the vertebral bodies themselves. And in the normal direction of stress, it tends to be in the back side. Hmm. Sorry, sorry, in the front side because okay. we're generally flexing a lot. So the, the front part of the, uh, the vertebral bodies may get worn out a bit here. But often it happens all over because one of the biggest causes of osteoporosis is a lack of stress and atrophy. If you're not stressing the bones, the little struts inside the bones, the trabeculi, they start getting reabsorbed. And that can happen throughout the bone. If you're constantly pushing in one side, then you're degenerating that side. But this work of Stuart McGill actually shows that's gonna make that bone thicker. So the thicker the bone, you don't have to worry about it. It's the non-movement part that kind of dissolves the bone and that tends to happen throughout the whole bone as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And I can't recall a study that actually showed which part of the, the vertebral body suffers most from it. It just seems to be throughout the bone, if you don't stress the bone, then it's, it's getting weaker and weaker. It's becoming hollow. It's caused by many things. It can yeah. be dietary, hormonal, but we're looking here at a case where it's a lack of stress yeah. that's causing a resorption of the bone.
0: Well, And the, and the reason I was asking that was because um, if there was a certain area of the bone that was more vulnerable to osteoporosis, then that would also probably lead to a specific protocol around what kinds of poses, what direction of of postures you'd want to do or not do um, around that particular weakening. Um, Yeah,
1: the fear tends to be of flexion, because flexion puts more stress in the interior vertebrae. I don't think it's because the interior vertebrae is more weak than the other parts of the vertebrae, but that's the place that gets most stress. Because most of our life, we're flexing the spine. We're sitting, we're slumping, we're over a computer, watching TV. We're always flexing the spine, and that's going to put pressure into the front of the vertebra. So if you've got osteoporosis, that's probably what's going to break first. Mm. But again, I think that's misguided. In fact, I was just reading today an article that came out from Harvard, the Harvard uh, Harvard Health Publishing uh, arm of the medical school. And it, the title is kind of telling it says, "Babying your back may delay healing." So well, that's, answer, that, that,
0: that, that's that's been a, a a consensual view around a lot of recovery issues. Like, if you baby it yeah. too too long, you know, you're not putting the stresses on it, then it, it delays, delays. And yet, I've
1: seen very famous yoga teachers say, "If you got osteoporosis, never flex your spine." Uh, I saw one video of a woman criticizing Yin yoga because. She went to a yin yoga class and people were doing butterfly. They were rounding their spine and she was horrified. Well, first of all, not everybody in that class has osteoporosis. And even if somebody did have osteoporosis, you need to flex the spine. You need to stress those bones because if you don't stress the bones, they're not going to grow stronger. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're not going to do supta (laughs) a really deep flexion. You're not going to do plow pose, a really deep flexion. But you got to do some flexion and a little bit of butterfly or caterpillar that's probably going to be very therapeutic for the spine.
0: Right. And it comes, so that becomes back to the, the issue of degree of dosage. Like, how yeah. much, like we, we were talking about with stability and mobility earlier, it's like in yin yoga, it, where we're seeking mobility, there is still stress being applied to the tissues, but it's, it's just that the, the context of that stress is that the stress itself is so much lower right. relative to other kinds of stresses that one could potentially place on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a gentler stress held for a longer time. So it's not like you're, you're carrying 80 pounds or you've got your arms way out and you're doing a big leverage in a back bend.
0: Are there, I mean, I know there's no studies done on humans with yin yoga per se, but um, is there anything in the research world that, that um, would suggest that yin type stresses on the spine whether it's forward folds or the gentle compressive back bends, that these would help, off, help offset or reverse development of osteoporosis.
1: And this is one of the, the problems we have: is Yin Yoga has not really been studied yet. And so, if you, you don't have the the highest level of evidence, um, which is missed. a double-blind controlled expense, and then you have to do hypothesis. You have to kind of reason. We've known since the 1800s by Mr. Wolf in Wolf's law, that when you stress the bones, it starts to lay down more trabecular uh, structure, more calcium along the trabeculi in the direction of stress. So if flexion is the part where your bones are weak, flexion is what you need to do to strengthen those bones. So we've known this since the 1800s. We haven't actually studied the yin pattern only because we haven't studied in the yin pattern yet. It's just not been studied. But the hypotheses, we're, we're dealing with, you know, A equals B and B equals C we can pretty much say A probably equals C.
0: Hmm.
1: So it's a knowledgeable speculation at this point, but it's based on very well-known scientific facts.
0: Would, I mean, would there be any, any caution you would give? I mean, is it something as simple as getting all clear from your physician to do this practice after describing to them? Or, you know, what kind of um, sort of, Checklist process might you recommend a teacher to go through?
1: Well, if somebody does have osteoporosis and they get this special thing called a DEXA score, D E X A, through a dual energy, dual energy x ray analysis, if it's minus two or, or higher, minus 2.5, they should be getting their doctor's opinion of how much stress should I do. I'm not asking the doctor, should I never stress, because that's never going to work, but just how much can I tolerate? Mm-hmm. That's some input, that's some advice, but you know, the student is flying her plane. She's the one with the controls. Everybody else is ground control. She can take their advice, but she has to check it out. She has to test a little and observe what happens, test a little observe what happens. And over weeks, she'll start to figure out, okay, what can I get away with? What is too much? She has to figure out where her edge is. But just to blankly say, never stress your spine. Well, you're just sending her to a death sentence. Because with no stress, the tissue is completely atrophy. Yeah, she can't do what she used to do. She has to be careful, and she's going to have to figure out what that edge is. And maybe as a teacher, you can help her experiment with that. So I definitely say find out what your doctor and your physiotherapist says, but then work with her to find the edge. And it may not just be a sensation while she's in the pose, but when you're coming out of the pose, what does it feel like? And then the next day or two, what does it feel like? There's three times you check <laughs> right on the pose coming out and the next day or two. Did you do too much? If not, maybe you could do a bit more. Well,
0: that and that's a question. Um, doing how to evaluate whether the student has done too much, or for yourself, because I mean, I, I can imagine that the soft tissue generates sensations that would um, convey that there would, had been too much uh, stimulation, whether yeah. there's, there's increased inflammation or anything like, or something like that. But with um, with bones, do they, do they signal too much in, in any way? Like, how would, the, how would, the, how would that mechanism
1: be uh, deduced? That's a good question, Josh, and here I have to admit the limits of my knowledge. I'm not sure if the bones themselves will signify, hey, I'm weak. I mean, clearly you can get bone pain, but if somebody's got osteoporosis, first of all, that diagnosis is not a death sentence. Basically, we diagnose it through bone mineral density scans, Mm -hmm. but human variation is such that most people with um, Asian genetic background, they would fail these tests in North America. Caucasians score much lower on the bone or higher on the bone density uh, test than Asian people do. But Asian people do not have osteoporosis. It's just the nature of their bones that they seem to have less density there, but they're fine just because you've got minus two on some score, it doesn't mean you've got osteoporosis. It's, it's this thing where we use diagnoses to attribute a whole bunch of problems. And this, this came up with slipped discs or bulging discs in the 1950s. If you had back pain, your doctor would send you for an x-ray and come back, you get a bulging disc. Therefore, the disc is causing the problem. Well, today, we know most people have bulging discs. Now, if you're in your 40s, 50% of people in the 40s have bulging discs. 60 percent of people in their 50s 70 percent of people in their 60s so most people have a bulging disc and have no pain most people have maybe low mineral density but they don't have osteoporosis so i'm not really sure what the correlation is between this Mm -hmm. but if we're worried about some sort of dysfunction arising from this then we do have to check a little test a little check a little test a little i don't know any other way to do it but what are you testing for dysfunction you know can you keep moving
0: yeah would you, would, you be, would you adjust the length of hold for someone with osteoporosis in a yin class, where say like the default time might be four to five minutes in a pose, would you suggest that for a while the person maybe only do two-minute holds or one-minute hold and, 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 yep. and, and see if that's okay and then, and then slowly
1: increase from there? For me, the, the lower limit is about two minutes to make it really a yin pose. Because that's where most of the, the creep and the relaxation of the collagen occurs over those first two minutes. So I had to start them off at two to three minutes and then check in see how they're feeling. And after a couple of weeks, that's okay. Maybe you can go up to three and a half minutes and work with them you know, over time to get to four or five or whatever is appropriate for that pose and that person.
0: Okay. So but just to summarize then, for the osteoporosis uh, patient, uh, and again, we're not working with them on the level of being a patient, but someone with a condition of osteoporosis, you would definitely encourage them to do yin-type stresses. There there was nothing on the face of it that you would say, don't do this.
1: Well, let me just rephrase that a bit. I wouldn't be afraid of doing yin poses, but if somebody came to me with osteoporosis, I'd probably prescribe them a protocol based on Lauren Fishman's work. Uh, Dr. Lauren Fishman, who's got a beautiful website, sadica.org, He's done tests, he's got a whole book out called Yoga and Osteoporosis, and there's about 12 postures that he recommends for his osteoporotic patients. Mostly standing poses, because standing poses put stresses into the bones. Most osteoporosis occurs in the lower back, 50% there, 20% into the hips, 10% in the wrists, and the other 20% is kind of all over. So he has many standing poses, but easy ones. Like if you're doing Warrior Two, you might have your hip on a chair. So you're not taking the full load of Warrior Two right away. So if somebody came to me with osteoporosis, I'd probably point them there first. But I, w- I wouldn't be afraid of doing yin yoga just because you have osteoporosis. I'd make them more gentle. Like I wouldn't do seal. I'd just do sphinx. Mm-hmm. I-, I wouldn't do necessarily snail pose. I'd do butterfly or caterpillar. So we don't need great range of motion, but we do need to stiffen them. But then I'd also assign some of Stuart McGill's exercises that we talked briefly about, Earlier the uh, the plank pose, the balancing cat pose, or even the mini curl ups, like a mini sit up type pose, where you don't come up very high. These will also work the muscles which will compress the bones together. And you need some of that compression as well. So again you still you need to stimulate the tissues in a yin way and a yang way.
0: Yes, as Bernie says, there is the ever important value of yin and yang stresses for all of our tissues. Okay, we'll pause the conversation there for now, and in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, Bernie and I will finish our conversation with a discussion focused on issues related specifically to the sacroiliac joint. It's another really rich episode, and I look forward to sharing with you then. Bernie's new book, Your Spine, Your Yoga, is now available, and there's a link for you in the show notes, so please pick yourself up a copy. His books are essential fixtures in every smart yoga teacher's library. Lastly, if you're interested in training in or studying yin yoga with me, please check out yinyogaschool.com. That's yinyogaschool.com. As always, thank you so much for your enthusiasm for both yin yoga and the podcast, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.